Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Today, dear friends, we observe one of the most important events in the entire history of the Christian Church. The conversion of St. Paul, namesake of our congregation. It is recorded, as you heard, in chapter 9 of the book of Acts. Born and raised a Jew under the name of Saul, he was trained as a Pharisee. By his own admission, Saul was very vehement and violent in the persecution of early Christians. We also are told earlier in the book of Acts that Saul was among those who witnessed and even approved of the stoning of Stephen, the first known martyr for the faith. It was Saul's zeal for Judaism and his careful observance of God's law that led him to pursue the arrest and even the punishment of anyone who confessed Jesus as Christ, as the Lord's Messiah. As chapter 9 of Acts opens, we read words such as the following, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Kind of like you and me, in a way. Yes, I know that for the most part, you've not given much serious thought to causing any genuine physical harm to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And probably the only murderous threats that you've ever muttered were those childish, I'm going to kill yous, that you yelled at a sibling or a playmate who pulled a prank on you or caused you some minor offense. Nevertheless, we're all guilty of causing others great harm with our tongues, are we not? Try as we might to avoid gossip and backbiting, snide comments and crude insults, we gravitate to them anyway. We can't help it. Such is our sinful nature. We try, of course, to excuse and rationalize this behavior, telling ourselves, well, they're only words. We even retreat sometimes to that other childish lie, quoting the familiar, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a crock that is, huh? We all know better than that. Words have great power, power to do great harm and great good, even when they're only human words. The scars that we can leave on others with our words can linger for many decades, long after any scrapes or cuts or bruises have long since healed and those scars faded. We'd like to think that the sins that we commit against Christ's church and against our baptismal brothers and sisters are of far less severity than the sort we read about Saul committing against the church and planning further in the New Testament. But they only seem less severe because in our desire to compare ourselves to others, we like to put things on a scale. Human concepts of justice have to put genocide as worse than mugging or bank robbery as worse than shoplifting, for example. But as I've tried often to explain to our young people in confirmation class and in our school, 
God doesn't see it that way. In his perfection and his holiness, he is so far removed from any sin and unrighteousness on our part that we are at the extreme end of any human spectrum we might create to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. Paul, or Saul as he is still known at the time of today's first lesson, later called himself the greatest of all sinners. In human terms, his crimes and his sins probably wouldn't even put him in our list of the top 100 if we were able to create such a list. Yet even in those days, he was doing his best to snuff out the sparks and the embers of Christianity, things that he would soon be helped spreading throughout the Roman Empire. Traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus to see if he could capture any Christians and take them back to Jerusalem for punishment, Saul is driven to the ground by light from above. The light was probably quite impressive, at least, again, in human terms. And Saul sees the resurrected Jesus. Yet we can't begin to assume at that moment that Saul had received a revelation of the full glory of God. Instead, as this encounter continues, Saul receives the exact opposite, doesn't he? Complete darkness. The blindness that he had been showing in spiritual terms by ignoring the truth of God's scriptures and by persecuting the church, it's suddenly made complete for him in physical terms as well. The word that Saul hears as he cowers there on the ground is not one of comforting gospel either. It is a word of accusation, a word that challenges him to justify his actions. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The confrontation that Saul experiences on the road does not convert him. It convicts him. It is a word of law, God's law, spoken to him by he who is the wholeness and the reality of God's word. Yet Saul's blindness is so complete that he can't even realize who he had seen, who was objecting to his actions, and who also had the power to drive him to his knees. Confused and frightened, he asks, Who are you, Lord? If Saul had any suspicion that it was God incarnate speaking to him, he wouldn't have had to ask this question, would he? He would have realized his past mistakes and instead would have been led to say what we say when we realize our sin. Lord, have mercy. Saul's use of Lord here is perhaps more of a statement that he is recognizing that he is at the mercy of someone who has completely overpowered him. Not that he has been confronted by the Lord of heaven and earth itself. The response that he receives is curious indeed. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus? Being persecuted? Hadn't this rebel Jesus fellow been killed years earlier? Crucified by the Romans at the request of the chief priests and scribes and Pharisees? Even if he had risen from the dead, as these radicals whom Saul was hunting down had claimed, Saul had never laid a hand on that Jesus. How then could he, Saul, 
be persecuting him. In these curious words, however, we see the intimacy of the love and the compassion that our Savior has for his church. To persecute God's own, to lay a hand upon, or even to speak a harsh word upon any Christian, is to put yourself at odds with the Lord himself. It's as if Jesus were saying to Saul, as he had to his own disciples, Whatsoever you do to the least of these, my brethren, you do it unto me. That should give us all pause, shouldn't it? It should make us hesitate to throw about gossip regarding our brothers and our sisters in this congregation. It should make us recoil from questioning the motives or the sincerity of others. And it should make us shudder in fear as we recall all the times that we've done just exactly that. We should not answer with the question, Who are you, Lord? But with that plea, Lord, have mercy. For unlike Saul, we already know Jesus. Saul had little choice but to comply with the directions that he had received from Jesus on the road that day. He was now at the mercy of others, dependent upon them to lead him to a place of safety. He despaired in his predicament, refusing even to take nourishment. Saul had no way of knowing it at the time, of course, but he was among God's chosen, and God never leaves his chosen ones in despair. And as the Lord usually does, and would soon do again with Saul, he uses another human being to bring God's message to a lost and suffering person. Ananias, a believer, is called by the Lord to go to Saul, to heal him of his blindness, and to speak to him and to convey the Holy Spirit to him. Ananias is naturally hesitant. He knows that this Saul is bad news. As far as Ananias is concerned, as vigorously as this Saul has been persecuting and trying to destroy the church, he might as well be the devil incarnate. But the Lord won't have any of that. He assures Ananias with his word, just as he assures us, and he sends him forth to accomplish his purposes in spite of his apprehension and his reluctance. Bolstered by his faith and strengthened and uplifted by God's promises, Ananias the believer approaches Saul the despairing, and he speaks what God has given him to say. And it is there in that encounter of a single Christian speaking God's word to an unbelieving sinner, that the conversion of Saul into St. Paul takes place. It wasn't in that bright flash on the road. It wasn't in the voice of Jesus speaking directly to Saul. It wasn't in the suffering of Saul's blindness either. Not in his vision of Ananias coming to him. Not in his fasting. Not in his prayers. No, it is in the Christian witness of Ananias to one whom he is initially afraid to, afraid to encounter that perhaps the greatest Christian missionary of all time receives the gift of saving faith in Jesus Christ. This faith would then be conveyed by Saul or Paul to countless others through the proclamation of God's word, both in his own lifetime 
and in the many centuries since then. It was according to God's will and God's plan, of course, that Ananias would obey his command and bring that message to Saul in Damascus that day. Ananias was afraid. Ananias hesitated. He gave God excuses as to all sorts of reasons why he shouldn't go to see Saul and to speak God's word to him. But in the end, Ananias' faith in the Lord was stronger than the human fear in his heart. And Ananias became God's humble instrument to bring God's greater instrument to faith as well. You may know many people that you're afraid to approach with the gospel. There are countless more in this world whom you don't know at all, who you're probably even more hesitant to approach because of the way they look or they talk or they dress or they behave. Don't let that stop you, though. Ananias was not out prowling the streets of Damascus, proclaiming the gospel at the top of his lungs and just happened to stumble into Saul. Rather, God set up the circumstances into which Ananias and Saul would be drawn together. And Ananias was given what he was to say and do for the benefit of his neighbor, Saul. God has promised through Christ that he will do this for believers. And look what happened. Saul received the message. Saul received the blessing of faith. And Saul was received into the flock of the Christian church. And he began to do marvelous things for the benefit of that church and his neighbor. It's amazing what a little conversation about Jesus can do, given God's will and the right circumstances. Your witnessing to others about Jesus as Lord and Savior of all may not result in the conversion of anyone with quite so much impact on the church and on the spread of the gospel as that which Paul had. In fact, it may not result in the conversion of anyone to your knowledge. But don't let that stop you either. Your role in the spread of the gospel doesn't have to be as spectacular in human terms. But there may be someone out there, someone, maybe only one person, maybe thousands, But there's someone who needs to hear from you that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of whom we are all the chief. If you have a difficult time bringing Jesus to people, that's okay. It's perfectly all right for you to bring them to Jesus instead. Bring them here to where Jesus is found and proclaimed and given out to us in word and in sacrament. The important thing isn't who they hear it from or where this takes place. The only thing that matters is that they end up here in the fellowship of the saints, where the scales of blindness will fall from their eyes, where they can be baptized, where they will partake of heavenly food and regain their strength, just like Saul, just like you. Amen.